morning we're going to be talking about the vision of the church this weekend and next weekend, and then we'll start the book of 1 Corinthians and go through the book of 1 Corinthians uh, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Today we're going to be looking at what it means to be a disciple of Christ. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, we're in Matthew chapter 4 verse 12, Matthew chapter 4 verse 12 this morning, so. So important, the Holy Spirit in the midst of teaching the word. So as we pray together, let's invite the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We, we thank you that you desire to be in relationship with us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you here right now. Would you speak to us through the teaching of your word? May we understand what it means more and more to be your disciple, to follow you. So would you bless our time in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to share with you a little bit of the history of Rocky Mountain Calvary. For some of you, you know it well, you've lived the history, you've journeyed with us for many years. For others of you, you're new to our church and you might be wondering, how did the church start? How long has the church been here? What's God's story through Rocky Mountain Calvary? So Rocky Mountain Calvary is a little over 30 years old. It began in the late 80s and was started over by Harmony Bull. So just on the other side of Austin Bluffs, there's a storefront there. In the very corner, the very end of that storefront, the church rented a little bit of space and began much the way we do today of teaching the scriptures verse by verse and chapter by chapter, worshiping the Lord, gathering together in fellowship. And over time, God began to grow the church and the church was able to rent more and more of that storefront until the church had all of the storefront there was an old bingo hall. I don't think bingo is really a thing anymore, but there was a bingo hall that the church rented out as a sanctuary. And the church was praying. We were praying, God, please give us a permanent building. Just renting, not owning, really desiring to be able to own a, a church building. This particular facility wasn't here yet, but the children's ministry was a jumbo sports that had gone out of, of business. How many of you shopped at jumbo sports? All right, you've been in the city a long time, right? So jumbo sports had gone out of business and was empty, and the board of elders of the church made an offer on that 40,000 square feet and this nine acres of property. We offered $2.1 million. The owners of the property laughed at us and said, no way, that's way too low. We won't sell it to you for $2.1 million. And this was 2001 timeframe, coming to the end of 2001. The building actually sold to an individual that wanted to make it into a liquor store. Apparently it was going to be jumbo liquor at the time. <laughs> In Colorado Springs, at that particular time, you had to go to the neighborhood if you were going to put in a new liquor store, and the neighbors got to decide if they wanted it. And more people didn't want it than did, and that didn't go through. It, the sale didn't go through. So the owners of this property contacted the church and said, if you can close by the end of 2001, then we'll sell it to you for $2.1 million dollars. 
which is an incredible deal. It's a lot of money, but you think about what that would cost now. I'm not sure what it would cost now, but it would be a way more uh, than $2.1 million. And so September 2002, we moved into that side of the facility. If you go over to the children's ministry, what is today the summit room was our old sanctuary. And the foyer there where there's the kids' games, where the kids' games are was our cafe. And then the children's classrooms were down the hallways. So that was an exciting time in our church when God provided that for us. Then in 2008, we were able to build out this sanctuary. This used to be a field, and so we were able to add and build uh, this, this sanctuary. So God's just been really faithful and gracious to provide for us and open up the doors uh, for us to be where we are right here uh, in the city. I started uh, senior pastoring at the church in 2005. I was the youth pastor prior to that. When I started senior pastoring, I was 27 years old. If you think I'm young now, I was really young then. So I didn't even know what I didn't know. Amber and I had been married for four years. Our daughter Hannah was a year and a half, 18 uh, months old. And the church has just continued to journey through uh, the years. And so that's a little bit of the history of the church, of how we've come to this place and this point in time. When I was first senior pastoring, I was seeking the Lord on what the vision was to be for RMC under my leadership. And what the Lord put on my heart was be, make, send. Be a disciple, make a disciple, and send a disciple. And you see that displayed as the vision of the church. This really comes out of my background of going up in a Christian family. I went to church all the time. I was born on a Sunday and was in church on the next Sunday. The church that I grew up in uh, until I was 12 years old, we had Sunday school hour, then main church in the sanctuary. So everybody went to sun- Sunday school. That's when you had your children's ministry. And then everybody came into the sanctuary. So all the kids were in the sanctuary during that time. And then you had Sunday night church. So you go home for a few hours and then you come back to Sunday night church. And then we had Wednesday night church. And I was bored out of my mind. Just so bored sitting in church on Sunday mornings. The church had the traditional steeple with a wood ceiling, and I would sit and just count the knots on the ceiling. And that was my experience growing up in church. And then we switched churches when I was about 12 years old, and we started going to a a church that taught through the word verse by verse and hearing about the grace of God. Our first service at this new church The youth pastor was teaching. He sat on a stool in shorts. And the church that I grew up in was much more traditional. If you wore a hat, they asked you to take it off and and those types of things. And so I was like, this is different. What in the world is, is going on? And I started to listen. And it took several years. But over time, the grace of God through the word of God really had impact upon my heart and my life. And so I knew what it was like to attend church but not be a follower of Christ. So my heart as a pastor has never been to try to get as many people in a room as possible. The size of a church is not necessarily the health of a church. But my prayer has always been that each of us would know God's personal invitation to be his follower, to be his disciple, to hear his voice and to follow Christ, to decide to say, I am going to be a disciple of Christ. So this morning we're going to focus on the be aspect 
of a disciple. And then next week, we'll look at making a disciple and, and sending a disciple. So join me in Matthew 4, verse 12. We see the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You would think that Jesus' headquarters, where he spent most of his time, would be in Jerusalem. But instead, Jesus spends most of his time in this Galilee region that was known the Galilee of the Gentiles. Yes, there were Jews living in Galilee, but there were lots of Gentiles. It's described as being a dark place spiritually. Quoting from Isaiah 42, the people just sat in darkness. They sat under the shadow of death. Sometimes when you go into different parts of the city or different parts of the country, you get the sense that this is a really dark place spiritually. I get that sense when I spend time in Manitou. How about you, right? It's, it's very evident. There's this dark place spiritually. Well, that's where Jesus would set up his headquarters. Jesus would be spending a lot of time in Manitou because he's the light and he shines into the darkness. What has happened just prior to Christ going to Galilee is he was in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Just before that, he was baptized. This is the very beginning of his public ministry and his message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means to change your mind, to change your direction, to turn from sin. Jesus taught repentance as well as John the Baptist and the disciples. It's still the message today to repent and believe the gospel because the kingdom of God is at hand. But the very next thing that Jesus does in his public ministry of coming to Galilee is he calls disciples. He calls 12 disciples. We're going to focus on these four disciples Peter and Andrew, James and John, two sets of brothers. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So what is discipleship? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? During this time that Jesus lived, it was the culture and understanding of apprenticeship. You would invite a young person to journey with you, to do life with you, to spend time with you, and to learn the trade that you did. So Jesus was calling the disciples to spend this time with them to be trained by Jesus. They would have this cultural understanding of this. When you're thinking of 12 people to change the world, 
would you think of fishermen from Galilee? If we were living at this time, you would think that Jesus would be calling people from seminary, calling people from the Jewish schools, those that were training to be rabbis. But that's not where Jesus went to get his disciples. That's not where Jesus went to get his followers. He went to fishermen. If you have this idea about being a follower of Christ, being a disciple, being used by God, that you necessarily have to go to Bible college or, or seminary, that you have to understand Greek or Hebrew, that's not what we see with the fishermen. They're ordinary people. And God continues to call ordinary people to himself. People with struggles, people with difficulty, people with sin that are willing to follow Christ. So let's focus ourselves on this phrase, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. First, this call of God is personal. It's personal. Jesus is calling each of us to follow him. He says, follow me. And he knew them by name. He goes to Andrew. He goes to Peter. He goes to James. He goes to John. He says, you, I want you to be on my team. I want you to be my disciple. What's so amazing about the Christian life is it is corporate, it is collective, it is us as the body of Christ, but it's also individual, where God has a calling upon you to be a personal follower of Jesus Christ, where you have a relationship with your, with your Lord and Savior that's even independent from a family member. It's independent from a spouse. It's independent from a parent. It's independent from a good friend. You are called by God. God is inviting you to follow him. We see this with the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. He's headed to Damascus to persecute Christians, to arrest Christians, and God calls him by name. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, we're not just a number this morning. Maybe you're in a university, in a college, and you have your student ID, God doesn't look at you as a number. He knows you specifically. He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows the details of what's going on in your life. And what's amazing to me about this is God knowing everything about me, knowing everything about Peter, still wants us to follow him. Still gives us this invitation to say, I want you to follow me. But please understand, It's personal. God is calling each and every one of us to be that follower and to be that disciple of Christ. So first, Jesus says them specifically by name. The second thing about the call of Jesus is Jesus' call is total, total. It's complete. He says, I want you to follow. You need to follow me. Another way that the Bible states this is lordship. Jesus wants to be in charge. There's no doubt with the disciples that Jesus is going to be the leader. This is not King Arthur in the round table. This isn't, okay, we're all on equal footing here. No, I'm Lord, and guys, you're following me. I'm going to be the master. I'm going to be the teacher. You're going to be the student. You're going to be the disciple. And this is really important for us to understand in our relationship with the Lord that God is asking us to follow him, that God is commanding us to follow him where he is put in charge in our lives. 
So how do we know how to follow him? How do we know where God is, is leading us? The primary way is through the scriptures. As we read the scriptures, these are our marching orders from Christ of what he wants us to do in our lives. It's difficult to follow the Lord without spending time in the word of God. That's how that that's going to work out in our lives. What would compel us to follow Jesus? Why would we choose to take Jesus up on this offer? Why did Andrew and Peter and James and John leave everything to follow Christ? They saw something in Jesus that was worth following. And I hope that you see something in Jesus that it compels you or you want to follow him. Where you say, I am all in. I'm, I'm committed to Christ. He's the Lord of my life. I'm ready to surrender completely to him. And what moves us to the greatest degree to follow Jesus is his sacrifice upon the cross. We have a benefit that the disciples don't, and we understand Christ's great love for us. Have you found Jesus to be trustworthy to where you can follow him because you know he died for your sins upon the cross? Hopefully so. It's out of the love of God, it's out of the goodness of God, of all of who Jesus is, that causes us to say, I want to follow him. Please hear me on this. The decision to follow Jesus is something that we live out daily. We make the commitment at one point in time, but we follow that commitment up continually. It's much like marriage. Amber and I got married September 2nd, 2001. Be 19 years this September. What if we committed to each other that day on September 2nd to be husband and wife, but that's all we ever did with that decision? How good would our marriage be? We still wouldn't be married today, would we? You follow up that decision in marriage to continue to love each other and serve each other every day. That's the beauty of marriage. It's the same way in our relationship with the Lord. We decide to receive the gospel. We choose to, to follow him, but we follow up that decision. For some of us, maybe it's been a long time since we followed the Lord. We can think back to another point in time where we were following the Lord, but we are currently not following the Lord. This is the ouch moment. Are you pre prepared for it? Church attendance doesn't necessarily equal following the Lord. We can come to church and check off a box and make ourselves feel good, but we're really not following him. We're really not at a place where we've chosen to say, Jesus, you're first in my life, and I'm going to choose to follow you. I'm going to choose to allow you to lead me and guide me and direct me. Again, Paul's life, Saul, who became Paul, when he was saved, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I think he meant it. And he lived that out for the rest of his life to where at the end of his life, he was able to declare, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Lord, what do you want me to do? Could it be this morning that for some of us, it's time to get back to the basics of following Jesus? It's time to get back to that certainty that he has centrality in our lives. He has lordship in our lives. And it's, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm ready to follow you. With being a disciple of Christ, there is a cost that comes with this. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 9. Just a few pages over in your Bible. Luke chapter 9. 
And look at verse 57. Jesus gives us the cost of discipleship. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Seems like great news. What you're waiting to hear from somebody. I'm ready to follow Jesus. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus wasn't a property owner. Jesus wasn't a homeowner. He says, guys, if you want to follow me, you have to understand this is not a material kingdom. This is not about owning houses and, and owning cars. I don't have a place to lay my head. Yesterday, the kids and I were watching Amazing Race. They've put Amazing Race on Amazon, all 29 seasons. That's a lot of seasons of Amazing Race. And this particular episode of Amazing Race was in India. All these people are homeless. Everywhere you look, they're just sleeping on the pavement and sleeping on the dirt at this train station. And it hit me how difficult that that would be. And I was telling the kids, look how difficult their lives are. And here Jesus is saying, I'm homeless. Are you sure you want to follow me? Follow me isn't this promise of material comfort. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are out my house. But Jesus said to them, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Most likely, this man's father wasn't dead. What he was saying is, I'll follow you once my living father does die. So I can't follow you now. I have to wait until my father is dead. The other is like, I'll follow you, Jesus, but I've got some important guests at my house. I need to give them farewell to begin. And sometimes when it comes to following Jesus, we've got these other things that are more important. We're saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I need to get this done first. Before God got a hold of my life, my idea was, I'm going to have fun as a teenager, college years, just kind of go wild and do sinful living. Then when I get married eventually and settle down, I guess I'll go to church. Like, that's not God's heart, Right? If you're at a place this morning and you're saying, God has put these things on my heart, God has commanded these things from his word, but I've got these other things that I need to do first, then Jesus is saying, no, I want to be first in your life. I want to have priority in your life. So the call to Jesus, it is total. Let's go back to this phrase in Matthew 4 of, follow me and I will make you. So the call of Jesus is transformational. Jesus promises that he'll make us if we're willing to follow him. As we journey through the Gospels into the book of Acts, we see the lives of the disciples changing. Peter, who's one of the men who's called by Jesus at this moment, really struggled throughout the Gospels. He has these shining moments, and then he has these other moments where he just crashes, he tries to rebuke Jesus when Jesus is telling them that he's going to the cross. Not a good idea to rebuke the Lord. Also, the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah show up. 
Peter not knowing what to say, that's when you should keep your mouth shut. He says, let's build three booths, one for Moses, Elijah, and then also one for you, Jesus, putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. The Father speaks audibly from heaven. I'm going to correct this. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Jesus stands apart from Moses and Elijah. Jesus coming close to his death. Peter says, even if these deny you, I'll never deny you. Jesus says, no, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Peter's there at the trial of Christ, asked if he's the disciple and denies the Lord three times. Christ dies for Peter on the cross, rises again, restores Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Holy Spirit fills Peter. We see a different man in the Gospels. Not a perfect man, but a different man, a transformed man. James and John actually had the nickname of Sons of Thunder. Have you ever known someone, or maybe you are that someone that has such a bad temper that you get a nickname for it? That was James and John. Like, watch out for James and John. These guys are hotheads. There's one point where Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, goes through a Samaritan village. They don't accept Jesus. They won't, don't receive Jesus. No joke, James and John look at Jesus and go, you want us to call down fire from heaven? Like Elijah in the Old Testament? Like, are we just ready to roast this whole village? The sons of thunder speaking. Jesus looks at James and John and says, you don't know what spirit you're of. I didn't come to destroy people's lives. I came to save lives. Well, John was transformed by Jesus. He was changed by Jesus where he became the apostle of love. Church history tells us that John at old ages, they would bring him into the church and he would simply say, love one another. He became the apostle of love. As you read the gospel of John and the epistle of John, you see this tremendous amount of love. He became a gentle man. God transformed his life. And this is the amazing part of following Jesus Christ as he will transform us and he will change us. The change that we're really longing for and looking for in our lives, it comes as we put Christ in his proper place. As we allow him to be Lord of our lives, to captivate our attention and say, I am going to take up my cross and follow Christ. I am going to follow his commands in my life. And then he meets us in that place and he begins to transform and change our lives. Transformation may not come simply from hearing studies if we have not chosen to follow Christ. Does that make sense? We can hear Bible studies The Pharisees, they they heard Bible studies all the time, but they hadn't made that decision to to follow Christ. The transformation is going to come as we follow Christ. And God is so good at being able to change and transform our lives. But he changes and transforms our lives for a purpose. Jesus' call is missional. I will make you fishers of men. These four men are fishermen, grew up fishing, Their fathers were probably fishermen. Their grandfather's fishermen. They're in the middle of a work day. And Jesus says, I'm going to change your vocation. You're no longer going to be fishing for fish. You're going to be fishing for men. 
That's an illustration that they understood. I bet they were pretty good at fishing. Where to cast their nets, what time to cast their nets, and bringing these fish in. God's saying, now you're going to care about trying to catch men for my kingdom. As we follow Christ, we're going to care about what he cares about. His desire is going to become our desire. Our passion's not just going to be to pay our bills or to survive or to get through Monday through Friday, but we start viewing our work as an opportunity to be a witness to unbelievers. So yes, we're there to do a good job. Yes, we're there to work hard, but there's a bigger agenda of saying, how do I love those that I come in contact? I want to be a fisher of men. And that's God's heart for all of us. He came to seek and to save the lost. So as we follow Christ, then he's going to put on our hearts to love lost people, to share the gospel with them, to share what Christ has done for them. And we're going to talk about this more next week, that we're all called into this mission. And sometimes I think that we fail to see the mission of being the child of God. I'm guilty of this. We think that a Christian life is solely for the purpose of us to have a better life. So God has made me the child of God so that I can have a better marriage, so I can have a better relationship with kids, that somehow I can get through this life and my life is better. Now, no doubt, being a follower of Christ enriches marriages. No doubt, family life changes. Single life becomes more whole as we're followers of Christ. But God doesn't just want us to come together and be comfortable. He doesn't want us to just come together and have him make our lives better. He's making our lives so that we can be a witness of Jesus Christ. Every Christian marriage is for the purpose of displaying Christ in the church. And it's easy to forget about that. It's easy to forget about the purpose that God has for us. God has strategically placed you in different parts of the city. Over the history of our church, the greatest outreach to our community is you. You're going into places of this city that we could never go in collectively. And it's been that faithful witness with a neighbor. It's been that faithful witness with a coworker. It's been that faithful witness with a family member that has caused people to come to know Christ as their Savior. So Christ's call upon us is missional. It's missional to be fishers of men and see that work that God would do. If you notice in this with these four men, their response to the call is immediate. As Jesus called, at once they follow Christ. We do know from the scriptures that Peter was married because he had a mother-in-law. So in order to have a mother-in-law, you have to be married. That's why I went to Bible college, to learn those deep things of the scriptures. (laughs) How did this work out with his wife? We don't know. It doesn't give us a lot of details. Does Peter go home and say, I met this man, Jesus. He called me to be his disciple. I'm all in. I'm doing this right now. And what was the response of his wife? If they had kids, what was the response of of the kids? We don't know. We don't know how that worked out. But there was that immediate obedience. What I experience in my relationship with the Lord is if I delay my obedience, many times I talk myself out of it. How easy it would be for Andrew and Peter and James and John to tell Jesus, let me think about this. 
Let me talk this over. But it was clear Jesus was worth following. Jesus was worth being the Lord of their life. And if we know something from clarity with the scriptures, or it's clear from scriptures, it's clear that God is is speaking to us, it's important to then follow with immediate obedience. Let's read this next paragraph and see what the disciples are in for when they choose to follow Jesus. And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So he's going everywhere in the Galilee region, and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's also displaying the gospel, healing the kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. The disciples are in for an amazing adventure. I want you to know that being a follower of Jesus Christ is difficult, but it's also an amazing adventure because you see God alive working in people's lives. The news got out about Jesus to bring every messed up person to Christ. Isn't that amazing? When you look at this, it's a huge region, Syria, going all the way up into Damascus. But it's also going all the way south to Judea, which is southern Israel. But it's going east beyond the Jordan River. This is impacting even beyond Israel. And it was all of the broken people. It wasn't the people that had their act together. It's like, oh, you're demon-possessed? You need to go to Jesus. Oh, you've got this disease? You need to go to Jesus. You've got these problems in your life? You need to go to Jesus. What would happen in Colorado Springs if that's the reputation that Jesus had? If you're messed up, go to Jesus. If you're broken, go to Jesus. Those in the city that we have no answers for, go to Jesus. And that's what the disciples got to witness and experience. So let me bring this back around to how this applies to our church, to Rocky Mountain Calvary and the vision of the the church. Let me try to explain it through my dishwasher. What? My dishwasher? So we're a family of six. We do lots of dishes, several loads a day. Probably starting six to nine months ago, we started having problems with our dishwasher. We've looked at it and Googled it, replaced some parts, temporarily fix it, but then the problems come back. Maybe you've had this with a dishwasher where you do a cycle, a wash clean cycle, and your dishes actually come out more dirty than when you put them in. So you're washing the dishes after you take them out of the dishwasher. So we finally had it. Praise the Lord, we're getting a new dishwasher on Tuesday. It's coming in being installed, right? Because we're tired of the goal not being met. The goal of the dishwasher is to have clean dishes. Sometimes we can miss the goal. We can miss the, the means, the, the end. And we come to church, 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 but at the end of coming to church, We're not the disciple of Christ. We're not a a follower of Christ. 
in essence, we've gone through the clean cycle, but nothing has taken place. And so I want to encourage us, as we go through the scriptures, don't be deceived that just because we've heard the scriptures that we're a disciple of Christ. But to hear the scriptures and the teaching of scripture and saying, I want to implement this in my life, and Jesus is the Lord of my life, and Jesus, I'm choosing to follow you. So this is our prayer, is that everything that we do here at Rocky Mountain Calvary would lead us to the place of being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Ladies, when you go to women's ministry, we're hoping that the result out of those women's studies is that you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Men, when you go to men's studies, we hope that the end result is you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. In our youth ministry, junior high and high school, we want the kids to have fun. I think the kids having fun is a way to reach their hearts, but we don't want them just to have fun. We want them to hear about Jesus. So the gospel's proclaimed in our youth ministry, and the Bible's taught in the youth ministry so that they hopefully will be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. I went into Josh's office, our high school pastor, this week, and he was busy typing away things on his computer. And in the high school ministry, the kids have opportunity to ask questions about their faith. And they fill it out on these cards anonymously, and then they answer two or three questions a week. I thought that was genius, and he showed me some of the questions, and the kids have some pretty hard, honest questions. What a great thing for them in the youth ministry to be able to wrestle through the questions that they have in their faith. Why is Josh doing that? Because he wants them to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We do short-term missions trips. We hope that they're effective to encourage missionaries and reach the lost in those countries. But another goal of those short-term missions trips is as people from our church, from the body, go on those trips, as they come back, and a lot of times, they're much more passionate followers of Jesus Christ. They understand God's heart and God's mission as they go on those trips. So over time, over the life of a church, it can be easy for a church to lose its mission. It can be easy for a church to not have a clear direction of why they exist. And why we exist is that Jesus has died for us. He's risen from the dead. And he's called us into relationship with him where we get to follow him. If you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus Christ, to say, I'm all in, he's my Lord, I'm choosing to decide to follow him. These four men were called publicly. They were in the middle of their work day. And they left their nets and they chose to follow Christ. As we sing this last song, I want to give you an opportunity to come and receive prayer and commit yourself to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you said, I've come to church for years. This is my first time coming to church. It really doesn't matter. But to say, I'm in. I want to be a follower of Christ. Maybe somewhere over time, you've lost sight of this. And life has simply come about by going to work, paying bills, just trying to get through life, and you've set aside being a follower of Christ, a passionate follower of Christ. Come and receive prayer and recommit yourself to being a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Christ for salvation, repent, believe, 
that Jesus died for your sins and rise again and be saved. Trust him. But what I really want you to hear this morning is my heart. I love pastoring here. I love being at Rocky Mountain Calvary. It's a real joy to my family and I. And my heart for you as your pastor is that you would hear the voice of Jesus, that Jesus is calling you to be his disciple, that Jesus is calling you to follow him. I'm excited about what God's doing in our church. God's doing a lot of really neat things. I think God has a lot of amazing things for us. It's a great time for us to be a church in Colorado Springs. There's a lot of hurting people that don't know Christ as their Savior. Our city is growing, and you can mourn that, or we can embrace God's mission in the midst of that. And I struggle with that sometimes, too. As I'm driving home from the church, there's a lot more traffic than there's ever been. There's some days that I'm not very happy about that. But that represents more souls, doesn't it? For some reason, God is bringing people to our city. And so for us to have an open heart to welcome in believers that are new to our city, but then also to be able to reach out to the unbelievers. Because if we're not careful, we're going to lose God's mission, and it's simply about us being comfortable. We gather together as believers, and we go, I want it to be comfortable for me. And then as soon as it's not comfortable for us anymore, we opt out. We're like, oh, it's, it's not comfortable for me, so I, I'm done. And God's, something, God's got something far bigger. He brings believers together so we can be encouraged and equipped and go out to a lost and dying world. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your invitation for us to be your disciples, to be your followers. And God, as a church family, we want to recommit to that. We want to recommit to following you, of you being the Lord of our lives. Forgive us when we get off track. Forgive us when we climb off the altar. We thank you for Rocky Mountain Calvary. We thank you for your faithfulness to us over the last 30 years. We thank you for the future that you have for us as a church. So we surrender ourselves to you afresh. And we invite you, Jesus, to be the Lord of our church and the Lord of our lives. So God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.